0: Amen. All right. Uh, Speaking of the Vatican, check this out. Not making this up, believe it or not. The Vatican has issued a stout defense of Charles Darwin, believe it or not. uh, Voicing strong criticism against Christian fundamentalists who reject the theory of evolution and interpret the Bible's accounts of creation literally. (gasps) How dare we? Uh, This guy, Cardinal Paul Poupard, now he's not to be confused with the guy that makes that nifty mustard. That's his brother Gray, Poupon. No, I knew you were thinking that, Sonia. No, it's not what it is. Anyway, I digress. Uh, uh, Cardinal Poupard uh, said the Genesis description of how God created the universe and Darwin's theory of evolution were perfectly compatible if the Bible were read correctly. Uh, Cardinal Poupard said that uh, uh, it was important for Catholic believers to know how science saw things so as to understand things better. His statements were interpreted in Italy as a rejection of the intelligent design view, which says the universe is so complex that some higher being must have designed every detail. Turn to somebody and say, duh. Okay, thank you for that participation. And he says this, well, the Vatican newspaper uh, has published this article uh, saying, on top of that, uh, that intelligent design, listen, is not science. And that teaching it alongside evolution in school would create confusion in the classroom. Yeah, in fact, the Vatican astronomer, guy, whoever his name is, uh, said, listen, believing that God created the universe in six days is a form of superstitious paganism. In fact, he went on to describe how creationism, taking the Bible, Genesis account literally, is a kind of paganism because it harked back to the days of nature gods who were responsible for natural events. What? From the Vatican. Now, what I find interesting is they say that intelligent design, once again, is not science. But they even went so far to say it's nothing more than a pagan superstition. Okay, yet they were the ones who were saying that the earth was flat when the whole time, uh, the Bible, if you would have taken it literally, said it was round. And this is what we've seen before uh, in this text here in Isaiah. Isaiah 40, verse 21 through 22. Do you not know, Vatican? Chrome translation here, of course. Have you not heard, Mr. Poupard? Okay. Has it not been told from you from the beginning? Hasn't you not understood since the earth was founded? He, God, sits enthroned above the square? No, the circle of the earth. Hello, it's round. That's what the Bible says. And his people are like grasshoppers, He, God, stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and He spreads them out like a tent to live in. Okay. The Bible's been teaching good science. Hello, because God tells the truth. Okay. For a long time, obviously, the Bible's been teaching good science. Unfortunately, not the Catholic Church. The Bibles we saw, once again, has taught from the beginning that the earth is, in fact, round. Okay, it was the Catholic Church uh, who taught and withheld the information uh, what the Scripture's been saying all the time. Okay, they're the ones who are promoting, if you will, superstition. But, not only that, once again, what did they say in that article? Okay, they, who are supposed to be the voice piece of God, what are they actually saying about God? What are they, what's their big beef? They are actually saying we didn't come from God. They're saying we came from an accidental blob. They are actually backing evolution. As, a, as wild as that is. But it gets even worse than that. Okay, They're also promoting another lie that's based on evolution. And this is big in the news if you're paying attention. They're, they're coming out and they're just making a big show that they're also su- uh, uh, supporting the belief of aliens and UFOs. And I think I know why. We'll get to that in a second. But here's the big news of why they're uh, doing this. And again, as we saw before, we'll get into this in a second. In order to believe in the lie of aliens, you've got to believe in the lie of evolution. But here's what they're saying. Let's take a look. <laughs> what a classic scene.
1: 1980 what? 85, 82. Lizzie here on the floor tells us that's the year she was born. Uh, we could not talk life on other planets without the classic clip from ET right there. Interestingly, the Vatican. Just finishing up this is The Vatican now, a five-day conference on aliens. Father Jonathan Morris, Fox News contributor, back with us. Father, good morning to you. What a great movie that was. <laughs> it though. was a wonderful movie. Drew Barrymore and off she went. Uh, did the Vatican find alien life? You know what, As sensationalistic as that question sounds. It's really not that far off from what we've seen in the news over these last days. The pictures of what might have been Pope Benedict standing on the, the roof of the Sistine Chapel looking for UFOs, that's, a, that's the type of images that this news conjures up. What is exceptional what is exceptional is that the Vatican was taking very seriously what science might tell us about the possibility of extraterrestrial intelligent life forms that's what the conference was about now what they're trying to do is get out of the story get out ahead and say what if we were to find Life outside of this planet. What does that tell us about the the doctrine of original sin, of Adam and Eve? And their point here is that we have to allow science to lead us and what is their field without going into it with ideology saying now, I, I we know that God doesn't I exist. Think or that's something. a great point. Now you as a Roman Catholic priest. You're open to science, is what you're saying, correct? Without it, not only Uh, open, not only open, Bill. But we have to respect science in its own field. You know the history, just like we do. I mean, they've come a long way since Galileo, four or five hundred years ago. Well, what do you think it says
0: about the church that it's it's actually looking at this issue? The spirit of Arnold Horshack is all over me. Ooh, ooh, ooh! I'll tell you the answer. I got the answer to that. Okay. It says that the Catholic Church is preparing to excuse away, listen, why are they pushing now all of a sudden, not just evolution, but why are they pushing this belief in uh, aliens and getting it out for the world to see? Because I believe that they are preparing the way for the excuse as to why they are left behind after the rapture. Why they're still on the planet. Stop and think about this, put your thinking caps on. As we saw before in the final countdown study, the whole belief in aliens and UFOs, again, is built on the lie of evolution. The whole premise is that there is supposed to be a higher evolved race from some other end of the galaxy, right? But wait a second, as we're seeing in our study, and in general, if evolution's not true, then, and it's not, then this identity of aliens cannot be true as well. Which means we're being lied to. And as we saw, if evolution logically can't take place on this planet, it's not going to happen on any planet. If evolution can't ever take place here, it's not going to take place anywhere. Okay, So why are they promoting this belief in evolution and now they also have no problem with aliens? Because again folks, as we saw before, aliens and UFOs are the ultimate excuse to explain away the rapture of the church. Put yourself in the Antichrist shoes. Here you have an event you cannot explain this baby away. People have literally disappeared on the planet. So how are you going to explain that one away? Simple. Now with all the prep work being done and the bulk of the planet now believes in UFOs and aliens, all it takes is for somebody to get up there on a global news broadcast and say, hey listen, I realize that your loved ones have disappeared, but it's okay. We're all going to be okay now. Uh, it's over. They, uh, they were beamed up by aliens and UFOs, and, uh, but we were able to finally put a stop to it, and uh, the good aliens are here now to help us, etc., blah, blah. You see what I'm saying? And if you don't think people believe that, I, I got two, anyway, maybe in a few weeks, maybe in about a week, month and a half, we're going to need to do a final countdown update. There's so many things going on. I just got to keep your breast on. Uh, certainly not for 50 weeks, but maybe at least for four or five. But uh, uh, did you realize this is a hot topic? More, uh, two articles I came across More people now believe in aliens than they do in God. And more people here in the United States, in the United States, in America, they believe that, more people believe that aliens landed on earth than Jesus is the Son of God. Which tells you the belief in this, as much as we want to laugh, maybe at the Christian community, unfortunately, and scoff and mock, and not be prepared to give a biblical answer, it's in the minds of the people, which means they're prepped for this uh, deception. And so I don't think it's by chance the Catholic Church, which is not biblical Christianity, is going out on record across the globe why they not only believe in evolution, but they believe in aliens because you're probably going to be left behind. And you're going to need to explain that away. Okay, so that's what I see that's going on there. But not only that, once again, uh, what are they doing? What did that article say, if you recall? The guy actually came out and said, intelligent design is not science. Okay? And in our study, what have we been studying? Just science. Okay? How in the world can you say that? So all of this, once again, even with the Vatican's behavior, uh, as unbelievable as it is, it's a form of suppression. As we saw in, once again, Romans chapter 1, those who suppress the truth about God's existence through His creation, what are these people actually doing? Storing up the wrath of God. And how many again would say, it's time to get a new hobby? do something different, right? And so, therefore, to help these people out, uh, we're going to continue to take a look at God's witness of creation, okay? And what we're doing is taking a look at the different evidences that God's given us through His creation, showing us He's not just real, but we really can have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, okay? On the crosses over here now, that way, okay? Thanks for moved got moved around. Uh, but anyway, so we're doing that. And the first evidence we saw was the evidence, obviously, of intelligent design and intelligent creation. And the last seven times, we saw the first six evidences of that intelligent design was the evidence of the universe, the solar system, the human body, the whole animal kingdom. And last time if you were here we saw how even plants and bacteria and DNA show evidence of God's uh, amazing design. And what we saw is that anybody who's smarter than fish bait knows that when you see design in something, what does that imply? Anybody glad that you're smarter than fish bait? Anybody glad when you're fishing the bait doesn't talk back to you? Has anybody ever been fishing? And it did. Here in Vegas that's a sign to get out of the sun. Okay, if it happens. But anyway, that's right. But anyway, that's not all, okay? Uh, the seventh evidence, I couldn't wait to get to this one, okay? We're going to start breaking it down. The seventh evidence of an intelligent creator designing our intelligent world is the evidence of symbiotic relationships. Huh? Or well, for those of you who hooked on smaller words, it's called symbiosis. Okay, And I do need to say this as a disclaimer, because I do not want to get a horrible rumor started. Uh, what those guys are feeding each other, those are not chicken nuggets. I would never do that to you. I would never promote something as evil as that. Okay, It's just some other form of food. Okay, But we're going to take a look at symbiotic relationships. Okay, uh, But again, let's take a look at that example in the scripture. Isaiah chapter 11 is our opening text. Isaiah chapter 11. And of course, uh, Isaiah was written by... Isaiah, that's right. You guys are awesome tonight. And uh, Isaiah chapter 11, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Now as you turn there, the context is the Messiah. And the Messiah is, of course... Rhymes with Jesus. Thank you, Tom. Oh, the kickstart that one. Okay, so uh, it's Jesus, and it's going to talk about the millennial kingdom. Okay, when he comes at the end of the seven-year tribulation, Revelation 19 sets up his millennial kingdom. It's going to be awesome. It'll start to give some characteristics of what that time frame is going to be like. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. So that's the context. But we're going to take a look at the relationship of the creation during the millennial kingdom. Okay. And uh, let's take a look at that. Revelation, or excuse me, uh, Isaiah 11, verse 1 says this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Uh, From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Okay, the Spirit, is talking about Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide uh, uh, by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Now listen to the effects on the animal kingdom. Just a little snippet here. The wolf will live with the what? Lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the what? The goat. The calf. Notice it's not a chicken, folks. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And listen, a little child will lead them. Okay? Uh, The cow will feed with the bear. And their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat strong like an ox. In fact, the infant, the baby, will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for why? The earth, at that time, will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Anybody excited about getting to the millennial kingdom? This is amazing, is what's going on here. Okay, it tells us the characteristics of the millennial Kingdom is the good news, praise God, Jesus Christ will be literally ruling and reigning across the whole planet. Okay? And when He rules, He rules in righteousness. No more of this politics, no more of this baloney, no more of this New World Order, no more the Antichrist Kingdom, no more lying, no more deceit, no more baloney. Okay? Oh, no more elections. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just close in prayer. Okay, no, I, I mean, so he's going to be literally ruling the reigning, okay, over the entire earth. And during that time, we've talked about this before in other studies, it's going to be a great time for all of humanity that's there. Uh, it, it's just, it's just going to be phenomenal. But he mentions some aspects here with the animal kingdom. And what he says there is apparently the animals over the entire earth are going to have a new relationship. They're not going to be eating each other, let alone us. Anybody glad about that? Okay. Uh, Apparently, they're going to be too busy playing and feeding each other. It said there specifically the wolf and the lamb and the calf and the lion are going to be hanging out. Now, stop and think about that. That's a radical difference from today. If you put a wolf and a lamb together in a cage, what would you have? Lamb chops. Mmm. Right? Big time lamb chumps. okay, but here in the Millennial Kingdom, that's not going to be the case. Now here's the point, okay, notice this side effect, it says there, when when the animals, you get to this point, when they neither harm nor destroy, okay, it's at this point that the earth is full of the knowledge of God, right? And that, if you think about all of our problems, that's why, okay, so the earth is full of the knowledge of God at this point, but here's what's amazing, God has worked it out so that we don't have to wait until we get to the Millennial Kingdom to know that He exists through positive animal relationships. Okay, believe it or not, this is where I'm going, pay attention. The existence of God can be known today through other positive animal relationships, and they're called symbiotic relationships. Now for those of you who don't know, let me define that for you. A a symbiotic relationship is defined as this, a close ecological relationship between two or more kind of life forms that benefits both parties. Okay, And the reason why these kind of relationships lead to the knowledge of God is because when you see how these two life forms are completely dependent upon each other from the start for their existence, it proves there's no way this could happen by accident. Somebody had to design, not just them as creatures, somebody had to design their relationship. Because they can't exist without each other. They have to be there from the start. So let me give you just a few examples of these symbiotic relationships. And see if, in fact, it stirs the knowledge of God. Okay? And we're going to start off with uh, bees and flowers. Okay? This is really cool. It just so happens that bees need some food to eat. And flowers need some means to reproduce. Otherwise, they would die. Kind of a serious issue. All right? And it just so happens that for some reasons, bees not only fly. But they know how to fly from flower to flower gathering nectar. Right? Why do they do that? Well, let's continue on. Now this, of course, benefits the bees because that becomes their supply of food. Yet when the bees land on a flower to get that food, they get the pollen stuck on their bodies. Right? We all know this. Which then in turn gets transferred to the next flower they land on, which pollinates that flower. And so this just happens to benefit the flower because now the flower gets to reproduce. Right? We see this all the time. We don't even think about this. They need each other. That's called a symbiotic relationship. okay. Therefore this ensures that the bees get to eat so they won't die and the flowers get to reproduce so they won't die. Okay, It's an intertwined relationship that they need from the start. So the logical question is how could evolution explain this kind of relationship? It can't folks. Absolutely not. Did the flowers wait millions of years to reproduce until the bees evolved? I mean st- start breaking it down logically. Okay, So the, to pollinate them? Okay, or did the bees refrain from eating for millions of years before the flowers evolved in order to be able to give them some food? They both have to be there at the same time is the issue. Or would it be more logical to say, see, I'm here to help you out. Okay, you're not getting it. It's a visual. Hey, wow, yeah. Uh, or would it be more logical to say that an intelligent creator designed the relationship right from the start? Now there's another thing I need to add to this, because okay, when you think about bees and flowers, pay attention to this. Uh, this kind of symbiotic relationship between bees and flowers actually proves a literal six-day creation. It has to be literal, based on what we see with this relationship. And that's because of this. The Bible says that plants were created on what? The third day. Well, insects were created on the what? The sixth day. Okay. Now, if these aren't literal days, if you can't take this account literally, like the Vatican would say, you've got a major problem. Okay, how could either bees or flowers survive for millions of years waiting for the other one to evolve? Right? Okay, however, if plants were created on a literal day three, they can survive for three literal days until God creates the bees on a literal day six, but not for millions of years. So think about that, even for the skeptic, even for the Vatican. If somebody says, do you mean to tell me that the six day creation is literal? You say, yeah. Have you ever seen a bee and a flower? It has to be literal. Bees and flowers, that's something that's simple, proves a literal six-day. How about the ant in the acacia tree? This is cool. Uh, there just happens to be a, a bullhorn acacia tree, and this guy's got a problem. Okay? He doesn't come equipped with the bitter alkaloids in his leaves that are needed to defend itself from insect attacks. Okay? So he's got, he's got a vulnerability. Okay? And, uh, so, but it just so happens that a particular ant has not only decided to make its home in the thorns of the bullhorn acacia tree, but this ant now becomes its bodyguard. It literally provides the defense that this tree just happens to need. Okay, and here's what it does. It acts just like a tiny bodyguard, and it, it, it protects the tree from harmful insects, animals, or even humans, anybody who might come in contact with this. They literally defend this tree. And here's what they do, okay? They release this alarm pheromone, and once it's released into the air, a horde of ants will rush out in mass and come to the aid of a tree. So they send out this chemical signal, Da-da-da! time to rally the troops, right? That's literally what they do for this tree when it's in danger. In fact, animals can actually smell this pheromone and thereby generally they avoid the acacia trees at all costs. And the reason why, they've learned by experience, because if animals do try to chew on the leaves of the acacia tree, the ants will proceed to sting the animal's mouth, forcing the tongue of the animal to stop and swell, and move on. If you know what I'm talking about. Okay? Okay. So they've learned that. Just by smelling it, stay away from that tree. But that's not all. The ants even perform maintenance on this tree. They clear away seedlings and other plants that try to grow up around the base of the tree that might uh, grow up and block out the sunlight, which would be harmful for the tree. So they do all that yard work for it. Uh, But wait a second, this is a symbiotic relationship. Itchy scratchy. So what does the tree do for the ants? Well, check this out. This is really cool. Uh, Believe it or not, the tree produces for the ant these uh, protein nodules. They call them Beltane bodies. And it leaves, also has a, a carbohydrate-rich nectar from the, lands, uh, uh, the glands in the leaf stalk. So it drips there for the ants. So that becomes a food source. Now here's what's really cool. Uh, uh, these beltane bodies have no known function other than to simply provide food for the ants. It's not just some accident that the tree does. and we, That's the only thing they know that the thing serves as a purpose for. Absolutely amazing. So this is the point. How could evolution explain this kind of relationship? Okay, it's like they're made for each other. Okay, how could these uh, organisms survive for millions of years waiting for the other one to evolve? What's the, the tree do until the ants show up, right? What do the ants do for food until the tree? They both have to be there at the same time. Evolution can't explain it. Or would it be more logical? That's right. You're starting to catch up. No, I'm going to forewarn you. I've got a couple more, so <laughs> practice. Okay, or would it be more uh, logical to say that an intelligent creator designed the intelligent relationship from the start? Okay, let me give you one more, and this has to do with you and I. There's tons of these examples. I've got to move on. Uh, one of the most amazing one. it's kind of gross, but it's a God-given symbiotic relationship that's between humans and the bacteria found inside our intestines. Yeah! This is good stuff. Did you eat yet? Okay, anyway, listen, as it turns out, there's anywhere from 300 to 1,000 different species of bacteria living inside our guts. Okay, And as gross as it sounds, we actually need the bulk of these guys for our survival. Uh, It just so happens we have a problem. We need help digesting our food. Okay, if you don't digest your food properly you die and that's a serious issue. Okay, so we need some help. And it just so happens these certain bacteria need a well protected environment and a rich supply of food. Well. Sounds like a match made in heaven. Well, believe it or not, it just so happens our intestines not only contain bacteria, but the right kind of bacteria that enables us to digest our food safely. They work for us, as well as uh, convert the food into healthy vitamins. Believe it or not, most of the mass in our colon and 60% of our internal waste products are made up of valuable bacteria. You need those guys. And they're not just taking up space. They're in there. Listen to what they do for us. They're in there fermenting unused energy substrates. They're training the immune system. They're preventing the growth of harmful bacteria. They're regulating the development of the gut. They're producing the much-needed vitamins such as Biotin and Vitamin K. They're stimulating cell growth. They're defending against certain diseases. And they're producing the hormones needed for storing fats. Several needed functions just from the bacteria that's in our gut. We have to have them, okay? But that's only half the story. So then you think, well, wait a second, how do we get these bacteria? Not just in general, how do they even get there in the first place to fulfill this function that we need to have functioning now properly or we're dead meat? Listen to God's handiwork in this, okay? It is designed by God, I'm telling you, from the get go for survival. Even the bacteria in our gut is designed by God. Okay, as so it turns out, during and after the birthing process, the bacteria gets transferred. From the mother, starting with the umbil- umbilical cord. So, the, the, so we, we start getting, as a baby, the bacteria we need from mom. Okay, it gets transferred and injected into the baby. But it also gets, picks up some of the needed bacteria from the placenta, even the surrounding environment, and it goes into the baby. Then after the birthing process, we still need more. And so now we start getting it from an external source. We get it uh, that's transferred by, to the baby uh, via the contents of the breast milk. And listen, from suckling and the kissing and caressing of the mother. They've done studies on this. Okay. No wonder God has made you ladies the way he's made you ladies. That when you pick up a baby, it's not like a guy. Have you noticed that, ladies? A guy, a brand new baby. Right? And you pick it up and you look at that thing. Here you go. (laughs) I don't know. I'm waiting for it to get big enough to roll a ball or something. That's the guy world, right? But you ladies, you don't do that. What do you do? You got to get your... Lips all over that baby, right? Mm, 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 right. That is not by chance. Believe it or not, you're transferring healthy bacteria to the baby. So I got this theory. The next time the mom uh, licks her thumb to get that jelly off your face, you should say, "Hey, thanks, mom. I needed that extra bacteria." <laughs> Isn't that wild? Even the way that God has designed us, uh, ladies, you to do that, uh, is not by chance. That's all part of getting that healthy bacteria. So again, that's the question. How does evolution explain that? That can't happen by chance, Right? How could any of these things evolve over millions of years? These kind of relationships have to be there fully functioning. Otherwise, it isn't going uh, to work. Or would it be more logical, now you're catching on, to say that an intelligent creator uh, designed this intelligent relationship from the start? Okay. And folks, this is just an obvious uh, example of symbiotic relationships. And this is why I think this guy, Henry Shaffer, he's a professor at the University of Georgia. He said this. He said, the significance and joy in my science. Listen, this is scientist. He said, the significance and joy of my science comes in those occasional moments of discovering something new and saying to myself, listen. So that's how God did it. He said, my goal is to understand a little corner of God's plan. Interesting. Okay, so what's he saying? I think it's pretty obvious, folks. That's a scientist. He's saying, if you think of all of life, if you think those symbiotic relationships happen by chance, then... Maybe you're missing a few buttons on your remote control or something. You know what I'm saying? Because when you see designing something, it's logical. Common sense. It implies what? A designer. Okay? And that's what God has done for us. But that's not all the eighth evidence. uh, that An intelligent creator designing our intelligent world is the evidence of genetic similarities. Now, this is the one I was telling you about. And this is one I couldn't wait to get to. Because this is one of the biggest lies. It's still on TV. It's still in the textbooks as far as I know. And it's a lie. Okay, and what that is, is this. Genetic similarities are simply speaking about how certain life forms have similar limb structures or similar protein or uh, similar genetic makeup in their bodies. Okay, now the problem is uh, evolutionists take a look at these genetic similarities and, uh, and these common characteristics and say, uh-huh, here we go. We have proof of evolution because we have a common origin. No. Actually, when you take a look at common characteristics, it uh, also means that you could have very well have a common designer. And that's exactly what you would expect in the literal Genesis account. God created the plants. God created the animals. God created the insects. God created the same guys to designed the whole thing. Okay? Do you think he's just only going to use certain things for certain animals? Or is it only logical that some of them he's going to use in making other ones? Are we the only ones with hair? Well, that proved that we evolved from a lizard. One because lizards have no hair, but we have hair, so we... No. Did you know that uh, kerat- keratin is uh, in our, I believe, nails and our hair, and that's found in a lot of different animals? Does that mean we came from the animals? No. It's just the same guy, the designer god, is using similar materials and building the same stuff. That's what you would expect. You wouldn't have to necessarily pick everything new every single time. And that's what evolution does. And they look at these genetic similarities, instead of coming to the right conclusion, that it shows a common designer, they say, aha, we have a common origin, improves evolution. It's not. You're looking at the same event, and you're coming to the wrong conclusion. It's like this guy. This is a classic illustration. You may have heard this before. Uh, one day a farmer was pulling a calf that was a, a breech birth with the feet coming out first. You ever had to do that back in the Midwest? And the feet are coming out, not the head. And so you, you, you have to use this uh, calf puller, and you've got to wrap it around their legs. And just, it's like a winch. And you, you eject the calf out of the back of the cow. Okay, and so this farmer was using this calf puller, and he's wrapping around the legs of the calf and, and the jack, and he's, he's yanking out the, the calf there. Well, a city slicker's driving by, Tom, and he stopped to see what in the world's going on, because he'd never seen anything like this before. So he stood there staring over at the fence, and the farmer says, hey, come on over here, I need some help. And uh, so the city slicker said, me? And the farmer said, yeah, he said, yeah, come on over here, hurry up, I need some help. So the city slicker jumped out of his car and he jumps over the fence and he ran over there to help the farmer pull out the calf and he never said a word during the whole ordeal. He just did what he was told. And uh, well about 10 minutes later they're walking up to the barn, they're getting washed up and the farmer says, hey man, I just really want to thank you for helping me out and I, I really appreciate it. And the city slicker said, hey, that's fine, no problem, no problem. And the farmer said, you know, you've been awfully quiet, are you okay? And the city slicker said, yeah, I'm okay. And the farmer said, have you, have you seen anything like that before? And uh, the city slicker said, No, sir, I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. So the farmer said, Well, you got any questions? And the, the city slicker said, Yes, sir, I do. It's been bothering me the whole time while we were out there pulling that calf. And the farmer said, Well, what's your question? And the city slicker said, How fast do you figure that calf was going when it ran into that cow? <laughs> no, 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 no. Wrong conclusion. They weren't separating a wreck. What were they doing? The cow was given birth, okay? Now, I said all that to get to this. This is, this is what is happening with this subject, with genetic similarities. This is a prime example of how two people can observe the same event, and one of them comes to the absolute wrong conclusion. And that's exactly what evolution has done. And dare I say they haven't just come to the wrong conclusion, they know it's a lie. Okay, let me, let me give you an example of, uh, of that. Uh, the DNA similarities. One of the most faulty conclusions of these similarities that evolutionists try to prove evolution, is in the DNA similarities between apes and humans, right? And you guys have heard this stuff. They tell us that since apes and humans are 98% similar in their DNA structure, that this is proof that we had a common ancestor 15 million years ago, right? You hear that all the time. Here's the problem with that, okay? How fast was that calf going anyway? Okay? If you think about this, same event, could it also be something else? Okay? Uh, this doesn't prove evolution. It proves we have a common designer who used common parts and plans to get the job done. Okay? A similar DNA code simply proved that the same engineer wrote those codes. That's all it is. Let me give you another analogy. For instance, it's likely that much of the software that comes out of Microsoft has a high degree of similarities in their programs. Right? I used to write programs before. You don't reinvent the wheel. You've you you got to start from scratch somewhere, but eventually you start taking parts of programs and piecing them together. There's no sense in rewriting the whole thing. Okay. But if you're going to follow that logic, does that mean that uh, uh, Microsoft uh, software evolved from Morse code 43 million years ago? No. It just means the same guys writing the programs are using the same similar thing. That's all it is. It's coming from the same engineer. Okay? They're using the same uh, programs using the codes. Okay? Besides, when it comes to relationships between apes and humans, obviously, there's thousands of differences. Period. But, here's what they do. They point out the similarity of this one DNA structure similarity and somehow think this is proof for the whole thing happening, of evolution. Okay. Yet, what they don't tell you is this. Dr. Barney Maddox, he's a leading genetic researcher, he blew the lid off of this myth, Okay. Uh, when he said this, quote, the genetic difference between humans and his supposed nearest relative, the chimpanzee, is at least 1.6 percent. Now, here's where they, it's a bait and switch. They go, well, We must be practically cousins. Here's what they don't tell you. That doesn't sound like much of a difference. But listen, okay, when it's calculated out, that is a gap of what's been calculated as 48 million nucleotides okay? in the DNA. Now, they know that a change of only three nucleotides is fatal to the animal, which means there is zero possibility for change. The 1.6 number, that's what they bait you with. We've got to be the same. No. When you calculate that in DNA world, it's a difference of 48 million nucleotides. Only a difference of three, not three million, three means you're fatal. It, It can happen. It gets even worse than that. Uh, the Smithsonian actually even admitted this when they said just a few percentage of points can translate into vast, unbridgeable gaps between species. In other words, it can't happen. It'll never happen. In fact, the difference is now known, some of the latest figures, is to be 5%, not 1.6. So take that 48 million nucleotides and triple it. And remember, if you get past three, it can't happen. One of the biggest lies out there, because they take that small number, and they don't tell you the rest, that you extrapolate that small number into the DNA issue, it's impossible. Okay? It's a big fat lie. Therefore, as you can see, this lady ate chicken or something. uh, They're admitting that rather than proving evolution, the similar DNA structure, uh, even as high as 98%, actually disproves. Once they go behind it and look in the DNA structure, it can't happen. It actually proves it can never happen no matter how much time You can give it. That's what they're not telling you, folks. And they just completely lie. So the question is then, well, then why did God do this? Why did God use similar DNA structures for you and I? Right? Well, believe it or not, there is a design even in some of the similarities we do have. Okay? In our parts and our makeup. It just so happens, folks, if there weren't some similarities between uh, humans and other animals, here's the problem. Then we could only eat each other. And I seriously don't want to do that because I love you guys, and we have a great symbiotic relation going on here at Sunrise, and that would mess it up. You know, I like the design features that are going on right now. Yeah. So no. So so we okay. Anybody glad that that's not our only food option? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Hello. So God designed all the animals from the same code, so there's similarities, so that we can not just eat, so we can be able to digest them. If we didn't have any similarities, then it kind of messes that up. See what I'm saying? Even that, Now, even the difference is, there's no way you could happen into evolution, but what even uh, similarities there are, are still designed for a function. Okay? And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God designed it that way. Look at that thing. Isn't that awesome? See, that's not just cow and cheese. That's got roast beef. That's got two different kinds of cow on there. Yeah, whatever. Let's move on. Okay, now, so therefore, when you break this down, you look at these similarities, okay, they not only disprove evolution, okay, but You can use this to create just about any kind of imaginary evolution. If you want to take a look at something that's similar in number, okay, then you can create just about any kind. This guy demonstrates the fallacy of this logic by looking at the chromosomes. Okay, Let's take a look at this analogy.
2: Folks, complex things require a designer. If you think the percentage of similarity proves something, let me show you the research I've been doing. I've discovered that clouds are 100% water. Watermelons are 97%, only 3% difference. That proves watermelons evolve from clouds. <laughs> and I discovered jellyfish are 98% water. And so are snow cones. That proves how they evolve. You know, penicillin only has two chromosomes, fruit flies have eight. I put together some critters and said, you know, I think I know how evolution really happened. Penicillin was first and it evolved to a fruit fly. And then it evolved to a tomato or a housefly They're twins, you know, they both have 12 chromosomes. Very hard to tell the difference between those two. And then slowly over millions of years, they got some more chromosomes and became a pea. And then it evolved to a bee. Now here you can see the similarity. P, bee, very similar. (laughs) And then very slowly it evolved to lettuce. And over millions of years, finally, triplets were born you know the possum, the redwood tree, and the kidney bean all have 22 chromosomes? The average scientist cannot tell them apart. <laughs> Let's see, possum, redwood tree, kidney bean. Yeah, let me see, tree, got it? Possum, oh, we got it, folks, there we go. And then slowly over millions of years, we evolved to a human. Here we have 46. And if we can just get two more, we're gonna be a tobacco plant. Sometimes I'll get on the elevator and I'll say, man, you're evolving, you're way ahead of me. (laughs) And of course, dogs and chickens are twins. Everybody knows that. They both have 78 chromosomes. And someday we might get enough chromosomes to be a carp. And it probably won't happen in my lifetime, but maybe we'll evolve far enough. Someday, in star date, 34, 95, 72, we can be a fern. I was in a church one time, this lady came to me afterwards and said, Mr. Hovind, I'm Fern. (laughs) (laughs) I shook hands with that hand, right there. I'll never wash it again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's their best evidence. You can see, you pick whatever. You want these numbers games, these supposed similarities, you can build anything off of that. That's the best that they have. I'd say your theory is bankrupt. Okay, but again, it's not just they're doing that same line with the DNA similarities. 98%, whatever, blah, blah, But when you get behind it, they know. You extrapolate that into the DNA code, it's impossible. And yet they still continue uh, to promote it. And this is why I believe Paul Davies, he's a British astrophysicist. And he said this, there is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. Okay, it seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's members to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. Okay, When you take a look at the facts. Okay, But that's not all. The ninth evidence of an intelligent creator designing our intelligent world is the evidence of logic. And what we're gonna do is now take a look at the uh, just good old-fashioned common sense, apply it to evolution, and you tell me if it ever happened by chance. In fact, Lord willing, we'll even get to the odds. And if you thought that was bad, that it's impossible for evolution ever, once they got into the DNA issue folks, it proved beyond a shadow of a doubt, evolution cannot happen okay but once you start looking at the odds it is the you have to have more faith to believe in evolution than take the bible at face value because the odds are impossible it can't happen unless somebody of course designed it all and how many guys would say that must be god hey good answer but we'll get to that lord willing next time let's go ahead and pray well hi this is pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and get a life ministries and i hope you enjoyed today's study. We're not holy, we're not perfect like Him. Uh, Let's take a a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, The Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery, And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead You pull the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the ten commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, The Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, In life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, The courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, They are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, As they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it's a proven fact. They did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, There's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over.